tonight's reading is from John chapter 14, verses 5 to 24. And that can be found on page 1082 in the Church Bibles. (coughs) Jesus, the way to the Father. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? even after I have been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? 
Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. I'm sure all of us at some stage have had the experience of somebody giving us a warning that they're going to be leaving us shortly. Maybe somebody at work handing in their resignation. Uh, Maybe your flatmate moving out, handing in their notice. Uh, Maybe a child going off to university or going to to leave home. What's far worse is when somebody leaves and we're given no warning. Some of you may know the story of uh, Stephen Lungu, just been reading this book recently, Out of the Black Shadows. tells the story of how he was a member of a gang in Zimbabwe and uh, there was one night when he was going to petrol bomb a Christian meeting with thousands of Christians gathered. But just before he did that, he went inside the tent just to see what was going on. And that was the moment of his conversion. Um, but at the earlier stage in the book, he describes how at the age of seven, um, with his five-year-old brother and his baby sister, he was left in a marketplace by his mother. And slowly he realised that actually his mother wasn't coming back and that they'd been abandoned. It's a tragic story, but a story that ends on a very good note. I can recommend it to you. We've been looking these last few weeks at the Upper Room Discourse when Jesus has been preparing his disciples for the moment when he was going to leave them. At the end of uh, chapter 13, if you've got your Bibles open there, he says to his disciples, verse 33, My children, I'll be with you only a little longer. Where I am going, you cannot come. And there's a sense of disbelief amongst the disciples. Simon Peter asked him directly, Lord, where are you going? Why can't I follow now? And Jesus reassures them at the beginning of uh, chapter 14 that he's going to prepare a place for them. And he says to them, you know the way to the place where I am going. There's a lot of questions still going on in their minds. They want answers. So Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answers him by telling them, as we looked at last time, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, in a pluralistic society in which we live, that's a tremendously arrogant claim. Um, one that our speaker, the Curry Knights, in a few weeks' time is going to be speaking on. Aren't Christians arrogant to claim there's only one way to God? But what we're focusing on tonight is why the disciples didn't need to worry that Jesus was about to leave them. Because what were they really worried about here? I mean, Jesus had told them they'd already, he would go and come and take them to the place where he was going. So it wasn't that they would never see him again. But what was this place going to be like? And more importantly, what was the father going to be like to whom he was going? I think if we're going to meet the father, we'd like to know a little bit more about him. You know, what he's like, who is he? It's a bit like going out with someone and uh, being invited to meet the family. You want to know what to expect. If you're going to meet your girlfriend's parents... What's a dad like? Is he going to give me a hard time here? Someone I know, who remained nameless, went to meet his uh, future father-in-law and asked him if he could uh, take his daughter's hand in marriage. 
and uh, went, thinking, wise move, go at lunchtime, keep it at least to an hour anyway. And um, two and a half hours later, after he'd taken an extended lunch break, he told him it was great to, to meet him and uh, thanked him for asking for his daughter's hand and he would let him know. <laughs> they, uh, they're happily married now. The disciples knew Jesus was special. They knew he was God. They, they'd witnessed some incredible things during their time with him. They'd seen him heal people. They'd seen him bring somebody back from the dead. They'd seen him calm a storm to turn five loaves and two fish into a meal for 5,000 people. They, they could see what was going on. They could relate to him. But what about God the Father? The one Jesus had come to reconcile them to. They'd never seen him. What would it be like to meet him? And it's a fair question. And some Christians in their urgency to stress the need to respond to the gospel have walked around with placards, I think there's a picture coming up here, quoting Amos 4, prepare to meet thy God. Now whatever you think of their approach, the warning is valid, prepare to meet God. Because any one of us could meet him at any one time. Francis Chan, I don't know whether you've come across him, has read this, uh, written this book called Crazy Love. Um, tells a story in there of a successful businessman, businessman who was giving a, a tribute at um, a funeral service. And uh, he said in, in his tribute, he said, you never know when God is going to take your life. At that moment, there's nothing you can do about it. And he challenges people, are you ready? Apparently, he then sat down, he fell over and he died. And as Chan said, one moment, this man was saying to people, this is who Jesus is, and the next moment, he was before God, hearing God say, hearing God, hear, God hearing Jesus say, this is who Stan Gerlach is. Philip was worried about meeting God, and so he said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. It's as though he wanted some sort of glimpse, a sort of vision, to be reassured so that he could cope in this, this time when Jesus would leave them. But how does Jesus respond? Well, the first thing he says to the disciples is, look, you already know the Father. You already know him. Uh, he's actually quite disappointed here with Philip. If you read the, these verses, he, he's almost rebuking him. Look at what he says here. It says in verse 9, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? What he's saying is that I've given you something far better than a, a one-off glimpse of the Father. You've lived with me for the last three years. You've, you've seen the Father in me. You know, I've told you many times how I've come to do the will of the Father. How whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Haven't you got it yet, he's saying to Philip? Well, how is it that they can know the Father through, through knowing Jesus, though? Well, the first thing is that Jesus' words are the Father's words. Jesus' words are the Father's. He says, the words I say to you are not just my own, rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Ultimately, we get to know somebody by, by listening to them, don't we? By hearing their views, hearing their thoughts, hearing them talk about what is important to them, hearing their values, hearing about them, worried about somebody, showing sympathy to somebody. We can form an impression of somebody by, by seeing what they do, 
But how often have you seen pictures of some celebrity in the press? Um, you've maybe even seen them act in a film or something, or um, you've seen them perform in a, in a sports situation. And then you hear them interviewed in a, in a chat show. And uh, somehow the person you, you meet there, you hear speaking, is actually very different from the one you'd imagined. Maybe a pleasant surprise, maybe a little bit disappointing. Jesus uses lots of words during his ministry. He had to explain who he was. He had to explain what he was going to do, why he was going to do that. He had to encourage people to believe in him. He had to teach people how to to live their lives. He had to teach them about the danger of sin. He had to warn them about death and judgment. And when Jesus says here, the words I say to you are not just my own, Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Or in verse 24, he says, These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. What he means is that they're not just telling you what I am like. They're telling you what the Father is like. Because we share the same values, we share the same thoughts, the same plans, the same compassion, the same love. We are different people. But in terms of our character, we are the same. Like the Father like son. Jesus' words are the fathers, but secondly, Jesus' works are the fathers. Jesus says, rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And you often hear people say, look, I love Jesus, I, I love the person described in the Gospels. He's so gentle, so kind. The God of the Old Testament I have a bit of a problem with. You know, he, he's, he's aloof, he's harsh. But the Son and the Father have the same character. If you, if you like one more than the other, then I would challenge you to look more carefully, to study your Bible more. Jesus is no meek and mild man. He's God. He's some pretty strong things to tell people. He doesn't hesitate to warn people about hell and judgment. But if it's his love that comes across more, then it's because he is a God of love. But so is the God of the Old Testament. He is a God of love. And if you've missed that love maybe in the Old Testament, then Look at his patience, his perseverance with people who are continually rebellious, continually disobedient to him. If we love Jesus, then we have nothing to fear about meeting the Father because we know him already. Well, the second reason Jesus gives the disciples that they they don't need to worry about being left alone is that he says, I will enable you to do greater works. I will enable you to do greater works. Well, how are we going to do that, they may be thinking. Have a look at verse 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, this doesn't just apply to the twelve apostles then. This applies to anybody who has faith, his disciples then, his disciples today. But what does he mean when he says, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing? He will do even greater things than these. Well, some may like to think it means greater miracles, more fantastic miracles, maybe more miracles. But to help us understand this, I think it may help if we turn back to chapter 5. If you'd like to do that with me, you've got your Bibles open there. Turn back to page 1069 in the Church Bibles. 
What we have here is an incident where uh, Jesus has healed an invalid at the pool near the sheep gate and the Jewish leaders complain that he's healed somebody on the Sabbath. Uh, and he says to them in verse 17, My father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. Then he goes on in verse 20 to say, For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things or even greater works than these. And look how he carries on in verse 21. He says, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. Or in verse 24, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. What is far greater than doing any miracle of healing is giving eternal life to those who are under judgment. And the reason why Jesus says to the disciples, you will do even greater things than these, is because they will be able to bring even greater numbers of people to faith. When Jesus left the earth, we're told in Acts that the believers numbered about 120. They may think that's actually not many converts for three years of ministry. And yet on that day when the Spirit came, 3,000 were added to their number. The greater works that Jesus has given the disciples to do is to make disciples of all nations, to spread the gospel to the whole world. And the power to do that will come from prayer. He says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. The men's discipleship group yesterday morning, we were looking at reasons why we pray. And one of those was because God wants to include us in his plans. He doesn't need to, but it's an amazing privilege that he chooses to include us in those plans. We mustn't forget, though, that um, the purpose of asking in Jesus' name is so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. And the problem is that a lot of what we pray for is maybe not with that in mind. It's maybe for our own selfish needs. Maybe when God answers those prayers, it is to bring more glory to him than we can think of in the way that we ask them. So let, what we do pray, let's, let's not forget to ask ourselves, how, in what I'm praying for, will this bring glory to the Father? Jesus will enable them to do greater works through prayer, and secondly, he'll bring, he will enable them to do greater works through the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 16 here. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. What do we learn about the Spirit from this passage here? Well, first he's described as a counsellor. Now, the problem with that translation in, in, in British English is by counsellor, we often just understand some sort of therapist, but probably the American use of counsellor may actually be better, which is a sort of sense of advocate or, or barrister, somebody who represents you, somebody pleads before, before the Father for you. We're told that Jesus is our, our advocate. Um, he'll be able to plead our case before the Father in heaven. 
But although he has gone to be there with him, that doesn't mean that we're left alone. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. And the reason he says that is because the Spirit will be with you. So whilst the Spirit again is a separate person, he's also one of the Trinity. He's the Spirit of Jesus. He's given by the Father at the request of the Son. And so later on in verse 26 it says, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. That is why he's also called the Spirit of Truth. Because if Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, then by reminding them of Jesus' teachings, he's reminding them of the truth. You can trust the Spirit, he's saying to them. He will live in you, he will be in you. He will reassure you of my love for you by his daily presence with you. Well, hopefully what is coming across in this passage is a strong sense of the unity, of the, the oneness of the Trinity. We worship one God, but in three persons. And the reason they are one God is because you, you can't separate them. They are of one mind, of one nature, of one will. They all work together. They have different roles to perform. There's a certain sense of uh, hierarchy. The Son obeys the Father. The Spirit is sent by the Father at the request of the Son. But they are all equal in being. They are all divine. So as Jesus prepares to leave his disciples, he reassures them, he reassures us. Because this teaching is just as relevant for us today. By telling them they know already the Father and that he will enable them to do greater works through prayer and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, finally, he tells them, you can show me your love by obeying me. Jesus has called them to believe him. He's called them to to follow him. He's given them teaching to obey. And the challenge now is that in the absence of Jesus, if they really love him, that they will continue to obey him. They won't just forget it all. They won't just give up because it's too hard. They had the Holy Spirit to help them. They had the promise that he will give them what they need. That they need to to want to obey him. They need to have that desire in them. And it's interesting, the promise here of the Spirit is sandwiched between two commands. Have a look at verse 15 there. 15 says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Then we have the promise of the Spirit. And then in verse 21 we have, whoever has my commands and obeys them, He is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. And the reason the gift of the Spirit comes between these two verses is that he will give us the power to obey. He's saying our obedience to Christ is proof of our love for him. It's also proof that the Spirit is within us. We can't do it in our own strength, but the desire has got to be there. If we don't want to obey Jesus, then we can't truly love him. Which is why when Jesus, Judas asks, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus reiterates what he's already said. He says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. But then he says, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And so the difference between Christians and the world is our attitude of obedience to Jesus, the fact that the Spirit is within us. And that is why the world or the devil still have such a powerful influence over us, even as Christians, because what the devil tries to do 
is to turn us against Jesus. If you think of Christians you know who may have backslidden, uh, it's often not a question of somebody waking up one morning and thinking, actually, I don't really believe this anymore. I don't accept the truth. I don't really believe that Jesus existed. I don't really believe that he came back from the dead. I don't believe that he was really God. And more often than not, it's because somebody becomes trapped by one or more sins. And sin is disobedience to God. And that sin may appear to be harmless to start with, but so the more it gets rooted in our lives, the more difficult it is to deal with. As we allow sin and the devil in, we are pushing the spirit out. Which is why we constantly need to be on our guard against sin and constantly pray for the spirit to protect us. Well, as we finish, I do hope this evening that you've been struck by the intimacy that exists between the Father, the Son and the Spirit. And I hope you're excited that we too can experience that sense of intimacy. If we are Christians here, we're not alone in the world. We've not been abandoned. We're not orphans. We are children of God. We can communicate with God at any time. We have the Spirit living in us. We can cry out to him for help at any time, just as miners did that we saw earlier on that video, crying out to God. We've nothing to fear about going to be with him because if we've already put our trust in Jesus, then we know him already. Finish with those words. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him.